we have been going through the book of Acts this summer. Uh, Greg, uh, Brad, Rich have uh, thought going through themes on the book of Acts would be good. Uh, I was hit one earlier in the summer on the theme of the Holy Spirit, which was neat. I was glad I got dibs on that one because that was the easiest one for sure. Because <laughs> uh, so much of Acts is about the, the Holy Spirit. We learn so much about the Holy Spirit. I think I figured there's 69 some verses on the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And I did a study on it once and kind of categorized all those verses uh, to kind of get a better sense of who is the Holy Spirit. We'll do a little review on that, the Holy Spirit, how the book could rightly be called. And I think Greg mentioned this, not just the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we'll be uh, looking at uh, that. We looked at that a couple of weeks back, reviewed it today. And then more specifically today, I want to look at one particular church, just briefly, uh, of the ones that in the book of Acts were started by the Apostle Paul, the one in Philippi. And you know, he did it in one week. And so the title of the message is A Week to Remember, because it's pretty amazing that he could go into a whole other continent, Europe, the very first church in Europe, and start a church in one week. Uh, And yet that's exactly what happened. And uh, we'll look at what kind of mindset Paul had uh, to see that accomplished. And uh, it wasn't really Paul's accomplishment, it was the Lord's, but how God used Paul. And Paul seemed to be a... You know, again, a vessel that God could use largely because of how God's, of what uh, Paul's mindset toward mission really was. I'm going to do an experiment today, too. I kind of got away from videos <laughs> and largely because uh, they don't always work with me, you know. And I usually stand up here and ask people to imagine the video, what it would have been like if it was working. Uh, so I've actually pulled four clips today, and uh, forgive me in advance if they don't work, but uh, hopefully they will, and uh, we'll see how that goes. And of course, we want to open in prayer again, but first I do want to show you uh, one video that I think you'll enjoy watching, and uh, let's see, uh, Dale, can you kick that one up there for us briefly here? I, th- I think you can see it without the lights going dim just yet. Now, look up in the upper left corner of this video. See if we can get it working there. There it goes. And you'll see up in the upper left-hand corner, a motorcycle, a friend of mine from Iowa, came out to take some photographs at Bandy Mirror recently. And if you get a little closer look here, I'll be quiet for you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We only popped two wheels. How was it, Edith? Oh, that was fun. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Jim said they only did two wheelies. I don't know if you heard that or not. But uh, that's my mom right up here at 100 years of age. I thought that was pretty good last Saturday. So give mom a hand. (laughs) Well, what do you say we pray and we'll get started with our message here today? Lord, we just thank you for this time together, the opportunity to study the Bible together, understand better the things you've allowed to be written in those pages, uh, truths that you want us to understand, truths that you want us to incorporate into our lives. Lord, sometimes we just don't know uh, where to begin, and yet we'll just take each day that you give us and build brick upon brick. Uh, our understanding of who you are and what you want us uh, to be about here on earth 
And we look forward to the day when we'll see you face to face. We pray and gu- that you guide us in these moments. Uh, Lord, help us walk by faith and love one another and love you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, by way of review, several weeks back, if you recall, we began to talk about and introduce the Holy Spirit uh, starting in the Old Testament. There's not a, much that's written in the Old Testament about the Holy Spirit, but Genesis chapter 1 2. Verse 2, chapter 1, actually introduces us to the Holy Spirit for the very first time, saying that the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. Somehow, the Holy Spirit was involved in the creation process. And this Spirit is not a power. You can't get like 20% of him or 50%. He's a person. He has emotion and will, thoughts, just like the Father does, just like the Son. And it's not always easy for me to kind of get my hands on the Spirit. I can better maybe the image of a father, the image of a son. I am one. I have some. And it's a little harder, though, when it comes to the Holy Ghost. And in the Old Testament, it seems like the emphasis more is on the Father of the Trinity. And then during the life of Jesus, when you read the biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew's, Mark's, Luke's, and John's biography of Jesus' life, right up to the point when he ascends into heaven, it seems like the emphasis is on those 33 years on Jesus, the Son. But after he ascends, the emphasis shifts to the Holy Spirit. And from the ascension of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, all the way through the end of Acts, during those 30 years of church getting established on earth, the Holy Spirit is really front and center among the Trinity there. And so we'll see the difference, though, in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, whenever you do see the Holy Spirit mentioned, really it's very rare. And when the Holy Spirit is involved in people's lives or empowers a person, it's usually in a very temporary basis. It says that when Samson appointed David, the Holy Spirit came upon David. And uh, it said that at another time, the Holy Spirit left Saul. And so the Holy Spirit might come upon someone, might leave someone. It was a temporary thing in the Old Testament, and usually upon people of rank. You know, it would be a prophet. It might be a David or a Saul, a king, or like I said, a a prophet, maybe like Samson, who when the Spirit of God came upon him, he grabbed the jawbone of of an ass and killed a thousand enemy soldiers with it. Again, people of rank though. And yet, the Bible began as the centuries, even the millennium, A couple millennium past, God revealed more and more to humanity about his will and his ways, his promise of sending uh, a a Messiah, a Savior into the world. We learn more and more. And here, one of the minor prophets toward the end of the Old Testament wrote this, and it will come about after this that I will pour my spirit out on all mankind. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions, even upon servants and handmaids. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit. So Joel was predicting a day when it wouldn't be rare. It wouldn't even be temporary, as we'll see in other verses. And it's not going to be upon those of rank. 
It's going to be abundant to many. It's going to be upon all people, even slaves and servants and men, women. And it's going to be permanent, not just temporary. This is going to be an incredible, glorious day, a big change of how God is dealing with mankind on planet Earth. So different from the rest of the Old Testament would be that day when the Holy Spirit would just come and be poured out upon mankind in this way. And John the Baptist predicted it. John the Baptist, I have baptized you with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It hadn't happened yet, but it was getting close by John the Baptist's life because John the Baptist and Jesus were contemporaries. They were cousins. Uh, they lived together at the same time. They knew one another, of course. And in Acts 1.5, Jesus said this, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And this is right before Jesus ascended into heaven that he predicted that the Spirit would come in a few days. And he told them, his 120 disciples, uh, anyway, there was others beyond that, but 120 met in an upper room and he told them to wait there for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon them. And they waited 10 days. So from when Jesus rose from the dead to when he gave this uh, prediction right before he ascended. So from his resurrection to his ascension was 40 days. That's quite a while. He lived on earth for those 40 days. I, I did a Bible study on those 40 days once and the things that Jesus taught during those 40 days. And it's really an amazing Bible study because he only taught one thing. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He taught that five times in four places. It's recorded five times in four places. But here, he's just saying, uh, wait. So the 40 days pass, and then 10 more days pass while they were waiting in the upper room. So that totals 50, which is where you get the, the name Pentecost. And so on the day of Pentecost, that was the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon mankind. Further, when that happened, Jesus went on to say here, 10 days before it happened, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power. Why? Well, to tell people about me everywhere. And that was Jesus' whole message during those 40 days on earth. And now he's saying, when you receive this power of the Holy Spirit, you know, don't try it at home without it. But once you get the Holy Spirit, then you can be my witnesses, you know, throughout the whole earth. First in Jerusalem, that immediate city where they were. Then in Judea and Samaria. And this is an outline of the whole book of Acts, these third three parts. First part is Jerusalem. Second part of Acts is Judea and Samaria. And the third part is to the ends of the earth where Paul's journeys are recorded, where Paul went in four different missionary journeys to take the gospel of Jesus, uh, having been filled with the Spirit, uh, to other countries. And uh, it's uh, really an amazing story. There were other leaders, other apostles who went to other countries. Mark went to Egypt. Thomas went to India. Others went to other countries. But the Holy Spirit chose to track what Paul did and record what Paul did. And so that's why uh, we're referring to Paul's travels. But keep in mind, the Holy Spirit was working through many men's lives and reaching the world in those days. And so I would like to just then review briefly that day of Pentecost, that huge event in all of history when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon mankind. There in Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, it says, they were all together in one place. 
Luke writes on, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment. They came from different parts of the town. It was such a loud noise. Utterly amazed, they, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? And it lists the languages. We hear it in Parthian, Mede, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, which I guess would be the Arabic language, right? And Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, the Latin language, both Jews and converts to Jews. That's who these people were. They were Jews and they were converts to Judaism. Because Joel's prediction in Joel 2.28 was fulfilled in waves. It was fulfilled first wave in Acts 2 to Jews and Jewish converts. That was wave number one of the Holy Spirit's outpouring on all of mankind. And then it continues here with Peter's comments, men of Judea, Acts 2, 14 to 21. I'll just read this portion. And all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day, nine in the morning. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. So he's clearly linking Pentecost with Joel's prediction in Joel 2.28. And so we see that... uh, This great event was a huge, huge event, but it was only the first. You see, even in our day, we struggle, don't we, with race issues. Probably have heard it in the news even this week. You know, we hear about uh, black violence on on, uh, maybe uh, police officers. Or we hear about it, uh, white uh, violence on black people or any number of racial issues. Uh, and even in the RNC and the DNC, you know, race is definitely a part of what they're about. They're wanting to draw people from smaller groups, uh, minority groups. Uh, they're very mindful of that because they want the votes from those groups because they tend to vote together, don't they? Race is a huge issue with us. And it has always been and probably always will be. But I doubt that it was ever as strong as it was between Jews and Gentiles in Jesus' day. It was huge in these days. And God knew that. And I think God used the gift of tongues and he poured it out in stages because he wanted to bring the church and all races from all countries together in one church. And that's no small task. That would be a great challenge. And so in Acts chapter 8, we see the second outpouring of the Spirit upon Samaritans. They were people that were half Jew and half Gentile. Because when the Assyrians came in and conquered the uh, ten tribes of the north, uh, they took a lot of Jews out and brought a lot of Assyrians in. And that there's a mixture going on. And the ones left behind were called Samaritans. We call Samaritans today... That area, Samaria, is is the West Bank. You've heard that in the news a lot. And so, again, that's what was going on here. God poured his spirit out upon the Samaritans. 
in those days, if you went from Jerusalem up to the Galilee, up northern Israel, uh, you'd actually go around Samaria, even though it took you a lot longer, because no one, no Jew would walk through Samaria. Uh, they just wouldn't do that. It was another lower race of people. And Gentiles, my goodness, if a Gentile touched an Orthodox Jew, they would have to wash themselves, ceremonially wash themselves. Uh, that's the kind of thing you're up against when it comes to these races in these days. And then in chapter 10, we see a third outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this third outpouring is upon a Roman soldier, a centurion, Cornelius. And uh, he represented the Gentile race of people. Gentiles or anyone who's not a Jew. And we read in chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter, who was called by the Holy Spirit to visit this Cornelius, who he didn't know before that, was still speaking words of the gospel to Cornelius, the Holy Spirit came on all who were hearing the message. The circumcised believers or Jews who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, it says. For they heard them speaking in tongues, these languages that they experienced when they received the Spirit. They too now, the Gentiles were speaking in languages and praising God. And Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we did. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus and then uh, asked Peter to stay with them a few more days. Peter stayed a few more days and then he went back to Jerusalem to report to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem what had happened to the centurion soldier. And here's what he said in Acts 11, the next chapter over, verse 15. As I began to speak, he said to the Jewish leaders, the Holy Spirit came upon them as he had come upon us in the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections. They were objecting to the fact that these Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit and had been baptized. They didn't agree with that initially. Peter explained what happened more thoroughly. And when they heard it then, they said they had no further objections. And they praised God saying, so then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance to life. Again, you get some sense, don't you, of this great racial divide. And how God was using the miraculous gift of tongues. And making sure that the Jewish leaders were present with each outpouring. The Jewish leaders were present with the Samaritans. The Jewish leaders were present with the Gentiles. And then there's a unique case in Ephesians 19 that I spoke about among 12 uh, Jews that had not received the Holy Spirit. And it was kind of the final confirmation. Uh, Moving forward, uh, you're going to need the Holy Spirit in your life. And it's not enough just to be a Jew in Old Testament times any longer. And so God used this miraculous gift of tongues. First to the Jews, then the Samaritans. Um, by the way, in between the Acts 8 and Acts 10, Paul was saved. Uh, he went then three years into Arabia. In Acts, uh, Gentiles in Acts 10, then the first missionary occurred, missionary journey. So again, Acts is a period of about 30 years. It's a transitory period. And much of what you read in Acts is meant to be descriptive, just describing what happened in those days. Not 
prescriptive, something that should happen to us in these days. That first day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. That's amazing. I remember going to Gainesville, Florida, the University of Florida, that first summer, feeling like, what am I doing wrong? We're not seeing 3,000 people saved in one day around here. You know, gators aren't getting saved. And uh, it was a little discouraging. And I never really understood at that time that this was special. This was unique. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. Although there have been people in our day where situations where thousands have been saved in a day. But it's not necessarily something you'd expect all the time, most of the time. So these are the four waves in which Joel's promise was predicted. 1 Corinthians 14 is another passage, by the way, 20 years later, 25 years later from Pentecost, where tongues still existed in the early church. But it's the same tongues in Acts. It's a known language. And when you read 14, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, you should keep that in mind, that this is a known language, the kind that were listed in Acts chapter 2. And so... uh, The Holy Spirit was poured out then over these 30 years. In Acts 13, the Holy Spirit began to move in more specific ways. And the apostles in Antioch, the disciples there, were together one evening. And it says, in the church in Antioch, which is in the country of Syria, there were prophets and there were teachers. And it lists them by name. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they, and Saul was Paul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off on what would be then their first missionary journey. And uh, again, it's interesting that they were getting their orders from the Holy Spirit. And this was the first journey they went on where Christianity made its first step at becoming a world religion. Uh, world faith. They left from Antioch. They went to principal cities like Seleucia and Salamis on Cyprus and Paphos and over there to Pam- in the region of Pamphylia. They went to Italia and Perga and uh, they went up to Antioch, Lystra, Iconium and Derbe in the region of Galatia. And then they came back to Antioch. And in those places, the book of Acts tells you things that happened in all those places and how they started churches in many of those cities. It was on their second missionary journey that I have kind of the most interest where they decided to go beyond where that first journey took them into really a whole new continent, Europe. And the very first church in Europe was in the city of Philippi in Greece. And so they went back to the churches of Galatia. They're in the heart of Uh, what we call Turkey today. And they came up to the border of Mycenae, a region of what in those days they called Asia, what we call Turkey. They were at the corner there of Mycenae and Bithynia. And Paul wanted to go north into Bithynia. And it says so here in the the Bible. He wanted to go up north into Bithynia. But uh, it says that the Holy Spirit blocked him. And so the Spirit said, close that door and would not let Paul go into Bithynia. Instead, one night he had a dream, a vision. And in the vision, there's one man who said, come to me. And he's a Macedonian. The very next day, Paul went to Troas, a seaport city, and then sailed for Samothrace in Macedonia. And then walked the rest of the distance to Philippi where he started the very, very first church 
as I said, in all of Europe. And so that's what I kind of wanted to talk about, though, at this point, and as a theme, a continuing of themes for the book of Acts, and that is the mindset that Paul had and how God was able to use him. And I think one general way of putting it is that Paul recognized that though we're made in God's image, and because of that we love because God loves, we can create because God creates, we have a sense of justice because God is a just God, even though there's these similarities, there's vast differences, and there's differences between us and God that will never be bridged. God is different than we are in many respects. There's someone who's written a book on this recently. Her name is Jen Wilkins. I can't remember the name of the book. But it's a very fascinating account of 10. She gave 10 different ways. God is different from us. It's almost like those of us that are parents. You know, I've got folks that will say, hey, you know, your son looks like you. And I have other folks say that your son looks like Julie. And I'm not sure how you put that together, you know, how they can look like each of us. Uh, But even though there may be similarities, they're in our image in ways, yet there's differences in our kids that will, they'll never be like me exactly or Julie exactly. They're their own people. And in the same way, there's these vast differences between us and God. And Paul seemed to understand it. But you see, we have this tendency in us to want to be what only God can be. And we have this tendency in us to want to be and subsequently live out our life in a way that only God could live in certain ways. And one of these ways that we're different than God, and Paul understood it, is that God is sovereign. God is in control. God is over all. We never will be. We aren't, and we never will be. But, again, we like to try to be what only God can be, don't we? We try to be in control. You know, we try to be kings and queens, masters of our own destiny. We like that thought. You know, we would want to be that if we can. And we tend to depend on ourselves in that case and we the danger is we can reduce God to being like us rather than our accepting God for being different than us he's the only sovereign he in Psalm 2 says looks down on earth and he looks at Putin's in Russia and he looks at uh, Kim Jong-il and of North Korea and other leaders with difficult names from other countries (laughs) he looks at all those people and he just laughs at them When they try to do things that are contrary to God's purposes. God knows the ending of the book of Revelation is going to end that way. Regardless of who's ruling what country today. Regardless of if the Republicans or the Democrats win this next election. It really doesn't matter. Revelation is still going to end the same way. Politics for us Christians is not really the answer is it? God is sovereign and God will rule and he's the answer But again, we have this tendency, you know, to want to to really, you know, to want to be in control. It's funny. You know, it can be hard to turn our lives over and trust God for our lives. Trust his ultimate, infinite sovereignty. But we're quick to turn our lives over to other things, aren't we? Take this, for example. Pikachu. You know, there have been people who've died playing Pokemon (laughs) because they walk around like this guy. 
with Pokemon on his neck, in charge, in control. And they walk off cliffs. Their cars crash into one another. I even saw on interstate, I think it was 25, some interstate driving around town this week, a warning, don't be playing Pokemon, you know, driving down the streets here. And it's crazy, isn't it? But, you know, we'll put Pikachu in charge easy, won't we? We'll put any number of other things in charge. You know, our own egos, you know, we love them to be in charge, don't we? Hey, look, we're trying to be what only God can be. Sovereign, the one in control of this universe. He holds every cell of our bodies together. In Colossians, it said he holds all things together. Think of all the orbits and galaxies. God's holding every planet together right now. That's what holds it together. He created them. And it's easy for us to forget it. But, you know, I don't think Paul did. When Paul was in that prayer meeting in Acts 13, 1, he knew God was sovereign. And when God said, go on mission, he went. When he came up to Bithynia and Mycenae, and God said, don't go here, but go there, that's what Paul did. And when he got into Philippi, he went over to pray to this God, this sovereign God of his. And it was there that he made his first convert, there at the prayer meeting. God just brought the convert to him. But God, Paul was really in submission to a sovereign God of his. And you know, God, this sovereign God has no need. He, has, he doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He didn't need Paul. I don't believe God has any need at all. It's a privilege to be used in God's ways for God's kingdom. What a privilege, but he doesn't need us. God has no need. That's why it says he can't be tempted. That's why it says he can't be bribed or blackmailed or coerced. We, on the other hand, we have need, don't we? I can get hungry. That's a need. You know, I was talking with Jim, who's the guy that gave mom a, a motorcycle ride. He went to Bandymere. He takes, takes photographs and then uh, sells them to magazines. And so here he was, he said, to get a nine-inch rack of Famous Dave ribs at Bandymere, 35 bucks. He said, uh, 32 ounces of lemonade, eight bucks. I was talking to Nicole McIntosh, because she's our uh, female race car driver. <laughs> so our token female race car driver. But uh, Nicole agreed with me. Hamburgers at Bandemir, uh, 10 bucks. Uh, and of course, when you're in places like that, Bandemir or airports or, you know, state fairs, you know, you know, you have these little hot dogs, uh, the kind that are in pigs in a blanket. Fifty bucks. You know, how, no problem. Here it is. It's like money becomes, you know, uh, monopoly money. You know, it doesn't have any, any real value. You just dish it out, you know, because you're hungry. You can be tempted and pay whatever, you know, to get that. God can never be tempted because he never, he has no need. He doesn't need us to be happy. He doesn't need us to be fulfilled. He doesn't need us to have somebody to love. God has no need. And I think Paul understood that aspect of God. He's completely sovereign. He doesn't need subjects. You know, he just does, has no need at all. And it's such an amazing thought for me to think about uh, when I think about this. And of course, the loss of people we love. I, even Brad and Sarah's loss is a reminder uh, this past week, a good friend of mine, we actually lived in Alumni Hall together at Iowa State, Tim Rood. He had an aneurysm at my age. Uh, started five churches in Des Moines. I remember living with Tim when he was just becoming a Christian, just getting to know Nancy. And uh, believe me, being the same age is way too young. 
But you know, my life uh, really is, uh, and your life, is in God's hands. He's, he's uh, established the days of our life, or even the hours of our life. And again, uh, he is sovereign. I'm going to talk about one other thing here. I'm going to try to use one of my videos on this one. God is also omniscient. He's all-knowing. Can we try this video on that point? See if you can. How much did you make off of all this land? You are destroying our national parks for profit. You have a problem with somebody taking a little profit? It's called business, son. So if I need to get a message out there, get a congressman elected, there are people who pay for it. And yes, those people want this bill to happen. And by God, it's going to happen. Now you look down there. Those are the wolves, son. I'm going to give you one last chance. Take down this boat. I'm giving you one last chance. Repent. Such a shame. You had possibilities. But you want to stop progress to save the earth. Go for it. Good luck getting a tree to come to the polls. Take it down. going to destroy the boat. No. It can't end this way. Is it too much to ask for a little precipitation? Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. I like that movie because, uh, you know, it gave me a sense of what it must have been like to be Noah. <laughs> you know, and, and Noah had never even seen precipitation. You know, water in those days, it says, came up from the ground. In fact, it was that water plus the precipitation that resulted in the flood but you know even if Noah didn't know didn't know why to build that ark didn't know what precipitation was didn't know what a flood was God knows and God just simply told him to obey and follow him and that's what Noah did it's amazing to think of building this ark in those days Noah was someone who understood God is different than me God is sovereign and God is all-knowing 
I'm not all-knowing. I don't. I like to think I'm all-knowing, but I'm not. Uh, you know, you've heard people say, uh, there's some people who just never learn. Well, they're a little bit like God, because he can't learn either. <laughs> God can't learn anything. He knows it all. To me, that's kind of sad because I like learning stuff. And I think, boy, I get a lot of joy out of learning. But on the other hand, you know, if you knew everything, that would be kind of fun too (laughs) without having to learn it all. And then there are those that learn um, something new every day. That's kind of a neat thought, isn't it? But you know, God can't learn something new every day. He knows it all. And he's not bound by time. If you put a timeline on a piece of paper, the timeline is time, but the piece of paper is God. There's no past or present or future with God. He he knows all things. God is also uh, omnipresent. Here's another uh, video for you. Or he is everywhere. He's instead of punting from deep in their own territory, they're already at the midfield right now. Yeah, and that's just that quick throw. And again, it's not a three-step drop. You just, you just. Dad, what are you doing? I'm watching this. Genesis six fourteen. Gen six fourteen. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Gopher wood. Gopher wood. Get it? Go. <laughs> well, it's not really gopher wood. I just like the word play. No, it was pine and maple. It was clear cut from this valley to make room for all those houses. Excuse me, do I know you? Not as well as I'd like. I see you got my housewarming gift. That was you? You sent those? What are they for? Hey, hey. Genesis chapter 6, verse 14. I want you to build an ark. You want me to build an ark? Yes. So that's why the tools, and you are responsible for the wood. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, let's just start over. Ha <laughs> Hello. I am Evan Baxter. Baxter. I'm born June 15th, 1962. Eight pounds, 11 ounces. Mother's Carol Ann Parker. Father Eugene Evan Baxter. Ooh, you have internet access. Very impressive. Do you also have cable? You're a clean freak. You care much too much about your outward appearance. Your left nipple is a quarter inch higher than your right nipple. And when you were a little boy, you were afraid of Gumby. Who are you? I'm God. You are God. Yes. And I want you, Kevin Baxter, to build a mark. Okay, you know what? This conversation is a little thing I like to call over. But I gotta get going. Because, frankly, I have an art to build. Busy, 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 busy. Nice meeting you. Take care. Oh, and... It's over. That case is gone. I am successful. I'm powerful. I'm handsome. I'm happy. Successful, powerful, handsome. Hey. Oh! 
Get it out, son. It's the beginning of wisdom. How did you get in here? Don! Call the cops. Oh, no, no need. Look, look. There's one right there. Right there. God is everywhere, uh, and um, he's omnipresent. I'm not sure that movie does the best job of making that point. I can remember Dale and I, uh, actually were involved in the, kind of the spiritual, you know, salvation of a guy named George Cena. This is a book that was written about George's life. He, he lived at 29, uh, he graduated from high school, and he was in an orphanage in Ghana, and uh, so, kind of an orphan. He's raised by his grandma, but uh, more of an orphan. His parents died. And anyway, he made his way, long story, after high school to Germany, graduated from college there, came to Iowa State. When we met him in Iowa State, he was working on his doctorate in biomedical engineering. This guy was uh, very brilliant, very smart. Uh, and in this book, it's really neat. Uh, everything in yellow is about Dale and me. And it's kind of exciting because. Uh, one point, he, he decided, though, to go back to Africa because the president there was asking uh, their Ghanaians to go back and help the country build. And I got to say, it was, uh, I didn't think he should go back. I thought he should stay with us. And it seemed dangerous for him to go back to Ghana. And he needs discipleship. You know, he needs to be in a Bible study. He needs to be in a church and uh, he just needs to stay here and get grounded. And, but he decided to go back to Ghana. And uh, lo and behold, 30 years later, uh, there's the Atsina Clinic in Ghana. He's known as Dr. Doctor because after he went back, he decided to get his doctorate degree, his medical doctorate degree. And he gives free medical care to people in the Atsina Clinic in Accra, Ghana. His two kids uh, actually ended up being physicians themselves live here in the United States. And Dale talked to me once years ago. He said, Tim, can you give half and I'll give half? And for two years, I did that with Dale, supported him so he could go to medical school. And then I pulled out financially. Dale then took it over by himself for a couple years. And, uh, but it's, uh, I remember thinking my concern of him going over there and look what he did. And what a privilege it is to even be a little part of it. You see, the Holy Spirit is over there too. The Holy Spirit was in Ghana, wasn't he? And he got a hold of George's life. The Holy Spirit didn't need Dale and me. You know, the Holy Spirit used us there. That's great, but he could have used anybody. But the Holy Spirit got a hold of George's life over in Ghana and accomplished amazing things. You know, just amazing thing. You know, um, the other thing I was going to mention is God is also omnipotent. And uh, for this, um, uh, you know, I'm trying to think... Uh, I should go through another video or not. Do you guys want to see another clip on that briefly? Let's let's hit it real fast. And we'll I know we're running late on time here. We're almost done. Omnipotent or all powerful.
I agree. I think we should get on the ark also. I'm cold. I'm wet. I'm going home. Again, there's a tendency for us to only want to, to want to be what only God can be. Only God can be all-powerful. We're not. We can't be. We never will be. That's the difference between us and God. And if we'll try to, uh, you know, pursue physical strength. And sometimes takes uh, great pride in our physical strength. That's, by the way, a friend of ours, Bubba Skaggs, Tina, who used to go to our church here, their daughter Megan Skaggs, at the camp she sponsored in Central America last week. She got the gold and silver in Pan American Games. But, you know, there's guys at my where I live, and they're doing weights. I mean, they're really built up here, kind of like I'm built up here. They're built up, up, up here. And, uh, you know, they take great pride in that. And they seek to be powerful, strong. Sometimes we seek power in the way we look. Great Seinfeld show once with him dating this girl named Nikki, who's really a beautiful knockout girl. And so he was dating her and found kind of by chance that people treated him differently when he was dating her. And they started giving him privilege and so on just for 
going out with her. And uh, the whole show is about how he became more and more emboldened to take advantage of that, uh, of that privilege. So he starts speeding down the road, going as fast as he can. And the police officer pulls him over. And uh, he doesn't say I'm sorry at all. In fact, he brags about how fast he's going. And even then, the police officer says, great, have a good day, and sends him on the way. Uh, beauty. Power, all of these things can be human means of trying to gain strength, even charisma. But um, we'll see in this verse in Isaiah, Jesus himself was not anyone that you would look to, he, to as someone you'd be attracted to in his appearance. Uh, again, only God, though, himself is ultimately sovereign, omniscient, om- omnipresent, and omnipotent. And I think Paul understood it. Because you see that in Paul's journeys and travels. You know, we're running low on time, so I'm not going to finish up the duration of our tapes here. Uh, But Paul also did, I will just say in passing, experience great joy in what he did. The theme of Philippians is that of joy. Because, hey, if you see God for what he is and what you aren't, that takes the pressure off of us. And we too can experience great joy. Let's pray and ask God to guide our time and lead us. And uh, as we develop missionary mindsets as Paul had, recognizing who God is and who we aren't in reference in relation to God. Lord, we just want to thank you for this time together, the opportunity to meet and uh, the opportunity to learn. Father, help us see you as you truly are. Help us to trust you, your words, your promises. Uh, Father, help us never flinch in our faith. Uh, Commit this week to you, Lord. Help our faith, our love, and our hope grow. In Jesus' name, amen.